you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Lamentations, Lamentations chapter 1. If you don't know where Lamentations is, find Jeremiah, which is a bigger book, and then go one further book to the right, and you will find Lamentations. A broken world. Have you ever stopped to examine and to acknowledge all the pain that is present. Think about it. All the pain that is in this world. There's armed conflicts. Easily over 100,000 people will die just this year in armed conflicts around the world. Think of the people that have been maimed through those armed conflicts this year. Think about all the people who are now homeless as a result of those armed conflicts. Think of all the people who go to bed hungry tonight because of those armed conflicts. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of illness. There's all sorts of types of illnesses. There's cancer, diabetes, heart diseases, and we could go on and on and on. Think of all the people who will get up tomorrow morning and go to a doctor to seek help and may or may not find a cure for their illness. There's a lot of pain. There's rebellion. Think about a time where you have been in constant sin and have been in rebellion against God. You say, well, I don't, I've never done that. Yes, you have. If you're saved, you have done that. That's what happened when you got saved. You realized you were in rebellion, and you turned to Christ. If you're not saved, you're still in rebellion. Rebellion of close family members causes a lot of pain. Rebellion in friends causes a lot of pain. Physical disabilities bring about a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, a lot of suffering because of those. What about human trafficking? There's a lot of slavery that happens still in this world. What about sex trafficking? I mean, these are things that even happen in the United States of America. And they're to a worse degree in other places. There is a lot of pain in this world. What about the hurtful words that you've exchanged with somebody this week? the insults that went back and forth, the unkind statements, the, the words that you said when you were angry and then you wish you could take them back, but you can't. What about loneliness? Imagine going home the first night after being married for 50 years then going home that first night after your spouse dies. Imagine that loneliness. There is a lot of pain. Imagine never being married and never having someone to go home to for 50 years. And every day you go home, you know that you're going home to yourself. There is a lot of pain in the world. Death. Maybe of your family members. Maybe of your loved ones. Broken relationships, 
people who are estranged from their family members because of some conflict that happened 20 years ago. There is a lot of pain in this world. And then we come to church, and it can sometimes feel like all that pain does not exist anymore. Right? I love this song, and we're going to sing it for the next five weeks. But it's completely taken out of context. The context is not given for this song when we sing it in church. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. That is true. And he continues on with the second stanza. Summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature and manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. It's a little distant from the pain that we talked about a couple seconds ago. And in the context surrounding where that song came from is a lot of pain. And so the theme, the big idea of Lamentations chapter 1 is direct your laments to God in faithful trust. Direct your laments to God in faithful trust. If you would take your Bibles and let's read Lamentations chapter 1. Verse 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow is she who was great among the nations. The princes among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night. Her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into captivity under affliction and hard servitude. She dwells among the nations. She finds no rest. All her persecutors overtake her in dire straits. The roads to Zion mourn because no one comes to the set feasts. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted, and she is in bitterness. Her adversaries have become the master. Her enemies prosper, for the Lord has afflicted her because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone into captivity before the enemy. And from the daughter of Zion, all her splendor has departed. Her princes, her princess, ha have become like deer. Princes, sorry. Have become like deer that find no pasture, that flee without strength before the pursuer. And the days of her affliction and roaming, Jerusalem remembers all her pleasant things that she had in the days of old. 
when her people fell into the hand of the enemy with no one to help her, the adversaries saw her and mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem has sinned gravely. Therefore she has become vile. All who honored her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Yes, she sighs and turns away. Her uncleanness is in her skirts. She did not consider her destiny. Therefore her collapse was awesome. She had no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy is exalted. The adversary has spread his hands over all her pleasant things. For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you commanded not to enter your assembly. All her people sigh. They seek bread. They have given their valuables for food to restore life. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am scorned. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Behold and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which has been brought on me, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his fierce anger. From above he has sent fire into my bones, and it overpowered them. He has spread a net for my feet and turned me back. He has made me desolate and faint all the day. The yoke of my transgressions are bound. They were woven together by his hands and thrust upon my neck. He made my strength fail. The Lord delivered me into the hands of those whom I am not able to withstand. The Lord has trampled underfoot all my mighty men in my midst. He has called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord trampled as in a winepress the virgin daughters of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes, my eye, my eye overflows with water because the comforter who should restore my life is far from me. My children are desolate because the enemy prevailed. Zion spreads out her hands, but no one comforts her. The Lord has commanded concerning Jacob that those around him become his adversaries, Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. The Lord is righteous, for I rebelled against his commandment. Hear now, all peoples, and behold, my sorrow, my virgins, and my young men have gone into captivity. I called for my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and my elders breathed their last in the city, while they sought food to restore their life. See, O Lord, that I am in distress. My soul is troubled. My heart is overturned within me. For I have been very rebellious. Outside the sword bereaves. At home it is like death. They have heard that I sigh, but no one comforts me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. Bring on the day. You have announced that they may become like me. Let all their wickedness come before you and do to them as you have done to me. For all my transgressions, for my sighs are many and my heart is faint. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer.
Father, we realize that there is pain in the world. Some of the pain may seem distant in this psalm, and yet we realize that as we gather this morning, we have at times experienced similar instances of pain, and we have experienced uh, unique pain that is unique to us. We pray that we would turn to you and express our pain, and that it would be a sign of our worship and trust in you that we turn to you with our sorrow and our pain instead of keeping it to ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen. Lamentations begins a book that is just lament over lament over lament. And one of the things that I want you to do is I just want you to note the amount of pain that is noted in this book. There's loneliness in verse 1. The city that is um, once full is now empty. People are lonely. People are by themselves. They have no one to be their friend in this city. Why? Because the enemy has come through and has conquered the city, and the city now has had many of the people that were from that city taken someplace else. In verse 2, the city is pictured as weeping with no one to comfort them, no one to care, no one to come alongside and to care for the city that is weeping. Verse 3, they're living as a slave. They were high people of prominence, and now the city that was a prominent city has been carried off into captivity, and it is now as if they are in slavery. In verse 4, worship has ceased. The roads to Zion mourn. Why? Because no one comes to the set feast. No one comes to the days that have been set aside to worship God. And Jerusalem was the place of worship. And the streets are now empty. Nobody's coming. The gates are desolate. No one guards the gates. The priests sit there sighing. And the virgin daughters are afflicted. Extreme pain. He continues on in verse 5. The enemy now has become the master. And the children have been taken into captivity. The pain is immense. The suffering in this passage is immense. And the pain and the suffering that you and I go through at various times in our life is immense. He moves on in verses 6 through 12 and he expresses more aspects of the pain. He talks about how the city used to be a city that was very splendorous, but the splendor has departed. What used to be a great city is no longer great. Why? Because the war has come through and the city has been left desolate. In verse 7, there's only mockers and no helpers. In the days of her affliction and roaming, Jerusalem remembers all her pleasant things that she had in the days of old when her people fell into the hand of the enemy With no one to help her, the adversary saw her and mocked at her downfall. 
couple of times he's going to use the terms lovers and comforters. And some of the times it's referring to the enemy nations around them. Israel was supposed to be separate. Israel was supposed to be distinct from those nations. And instead of being separate and distinct from those nations, they had chosen to become friends with them. And so he uses lover language to say, Israel has acted as if all these neighboring nations that she was supposed to be distinct from and separate from are now her lovers, her comforters, when God is supposed to be her real comforter, her true lover. And now those people who are her lovers and her comforters do not come to care for her in her distress. And instead, the enemies surrounding her are now mocking her, making fun of her. But it gets worse. In verse 10, the enemy has invaded the temple and stolen the temple items. God's special place where he said, Israel, this is your special place. You don't let the Gentiles come in. This is your spot. And then the enemy has stormed the city and entered the temple grounds and taken the temple relics out of the temple. Verse 11, huge sacrifices are made for food. Verse 11, all her people sigh, they seek bread. They have given their valuables for food to restore their life. What are the valuables? Could be that they're just precious items. But as we read further into the passage, into this book, we learn that they're going further than just giving away valuables. Go to chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. My eyes fail with tears. My heart is troubled. My bile is poured on the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because the children and the infants faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is grain and wine? That is a uh, metaphor for food. Okay? The kids aren't actually drinking wine. Where is grain and wine? As they swoon like the wounded in the streets of the city, as their life is poured out in their mother's bosom. The kids are starving to death and fainting in the streets. And then you go on to chapter 4, verse 10, and the situation becomes even worse. The hands of the compassionate woman have cooked their own children. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. Gross. Times were desperate. Sorrow was everywhere. In verse 12, he gives a request for the outsiders to acknowledge and to see his pain. And he's commanding it. It's interesting. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Behold and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which has been brought on me, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his fierce anger. And while our primary point of 
contact, when we're expressing our sorrow and pain, should not be the person sitting next to you in the chair. It is an appropriate and proper thing for us to care for one another by weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. In Romans chapter 12, Paul is telling the Romans to love one another, and as he's describing how he wants the church to care for its membership, he tells them to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. So as we see people going through times of suffering, take time to express your sorrow. Take time to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. But the author of Lamentations calls out for the community that is walking by this city that has gone through such devastation. He says, look, have you ever seen sorrow as bad as this sorrow? In verse 13, their strength and their endurance are gone. From above he has sent fire into my bones and it overpowered them. He has spread a net for my feet and turned me back. He has made me desolate and faint all the day. The strength is gone. Verse 16. One of the greatest pains is the fact that they are alienated from God. Why? Because of their sin. Verse 16. For these things I weep. My eye, my eye overflows with water because the comforter who should restore my life is far from me. My children are desolate because the enemy prevailed. In verse 16, when he talks about the comforter, he's no longer talking about the outside nations all around him, the, around her, that is Judah, that used to comfort her. He's talking about God. He's saying, God is my comforter and he's far off. He does not come when I call out to him. There's alienation from God. God is not close by. God is distant. It echoes the same type of idea that one of the Psalms says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as me and you go through times that are hard, times of suffering, times of trial, it can often feel like God has forsaken us, that God is alien from us. So these specific claims may feel distant. You may be like, you know, I'm not selling my wedding band to get food today. But as you reflect upon your life, as you reflect upon the past couple of years, you can remember different times where you have gone through times of pain, times of suffering. I remember... Ten years ago, I once was certain that I would never be married and I would never have kids because nobody would want to marry me. And I, I remember pulling over on the side of the road, driving to Walmart, and I just cried. Okay? And as, as you reflect on your life, there are times where you have experienced similar emotions. Maybe they're logical, maybe they're not. I mean, who wouldn't want to marry me, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Okay, But you go through times of pain, you go through times of sorrow, of hardship. And, and what you describe your pain as may be very different from this. It may surround 
a member of your family who's died. It may surround some sort of injustice that is going on in your life. It may surround a relationship in your family that has been estranged. And you don't talk to somebody because of some sort of sorrow, some sort of suffering. And it causes anguish. It causes grief in your life. There is sorrow that you and I experience. And as you and I experience this sorrow, what do we do with this sorrow? Where do we go with the hard sorrow of this life? The author of Lamentations addresses God. He says, God, you see this. That's not the only thing. We also see that pain comes as a result of sin. Sometimes our own sin causes the pain. Like in Lamentations. Because they disobeyed God over and over again and they refused to listen to Jeremiah's challenge to them to return and to repent, God punished them. But there's other pain that you and I go through that is not a result of our own sin. It's because we live in a fallen world, a world that is under the curse. Why? Because Adam and Eve sinned. And so people do horrible, evil things. People break into your house and rob. Family members are unwilling to be restored to one another because they are prideful. That could be why you're estranged from someone. Death is a very real thing that brings about a lot of pain and suffering in our lives. But ultimately, the cause and the origin of pain all goes back to Adam and Eve's original sin. And because of that, the world is no longer blessed as God made it, but rather it's under the curse. And the story of the Bible is how God is going to take a world that is under the curse and take it from a place that is cursed to once again a place where all the nations can once again be blessed. And how does that happen? How does that happen? How, how do we solve this problem of sin that brings about so much suffering in this world? It's nothing that I can do and it's nothing that you can do. It's because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And as he lived in the world, he lived a completely sinless life. And after three plus years of public ministry, he went to the cross and died. And then he rose again. And if we place our faith and trust in him, we can be forgiven for our sins and have hope that and when I say we have the hope that, it's not I wishy-washy, maybe I will get it. It's a firm confidence that you will receive a home with Christ in heaven. He moves on, though, to describe sin as a source of suffering for Jerusalem. The pain in the situation is a result of their persistent sin. This is picked up on a couple of different times in the passage. In verse 5 and verses 8 through 9, he talks about this. He says, 
Her adversaries have become the master. Her enemies prosper, for the Lord has afflicted her. Why? Because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone into the captivity before the enemy. Skip down to verses 8 and 9. You once again see that he points out the cause of the pain that the city of Jerusalem is going through. Jerusalem has sinned gravely. Therefore, she has become vile. All who honored her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Yes, she sighs and turns away. Her uncleanness is in her skirts. She did not consider her destiny. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy is exalted. Verse 14 once again points us to the cause. And verse 14 points out that sin becomes a pattern which ensnares. He pictures sin as a yoke that once it's around us, controls us. And we're unable to break free from it. And it controls us and makes us to continue to pursue sin. Which guarantees continued suffering. Verse 14. The yoke of my transgressions was bound. They were woven together by God's hand and thrust upon my neck. He made my strength fail. The Lord delivered me into the hand of those whom I am not able to withstand. Sin brings about suffering. Sometimes it's suffering that we can't control. You can't control what Adam and Eve did. But you can control what you do. By submitting to the Holy Spirit and living according to his word, you can be delivered from some of the pain and the sorrow that is in this world. Verse 15, God was involved in punishing their sin. The Lord was, has trampled underfoot all my mighty men. In my midst he has called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord trampled as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. Their sin alienates them from the comforter. We looked at this a little bit earlier. That was one of the pains. But it's also the reason why they're in all the other pain. As you think about this, consider, is there sin in your life that is bringing about pain in your life? Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But the passage does cause us to contemplate our own lives and to say, is there sin that is present in my life that is causing pain, that is causing suffering in my life? If not, then you continue to go to God, placing your trust in him and asking him to deliver you. And you continue to demonstrate trust whether or not the pain goes away. But if there are areas of your life where you can look at your life and you can say, my sin has become a yoke around me. And I am controlled by that sin because it has ensnared me. Then seek and follow biblical counsel and be freed from that yoke. Be freed from that ensnarement. 
And as you do so, some of the suffering may persist. Maybe all of it will persist. But at least you'll be living in a righteous way. And you'll be receiving God's favor, God's blessing. Maybe not here on earth, but you will have heavenly rewards. He moves on then and he cries to the counselor. He cries to the comforter. The only one that can truly do anything about his situation. And it's interesting, the, the language that he uses, he calls out to God, are actually commands. It's, it's very strong language. It's not like, oh God, you know, maybe if you could do this. It is a command. Oh Lord, behold. It's like the same type of thing that you tell your kid when you want them to do something. Look at that. That's what he's telling God. Behold my affliction, for the enemy is exalted. It's the same thing that he does in verse 12 when he, the community is walking by the city of Jerusalem. He yells out to the community and he says, look! And the implication is, look and do something. Don't leave me in this pain. Don't leave me in this suffering, God. Deliver me from it. You go to verse 22. And once again, he's asking God to do something. Throughout the book, the author is trusting God. Let all their wickedness come before you and do to them as you have done to me. For all my transgressions, for my sighs are many, and my heart is faint. Ultimately, the only place that we can go that actually provides us with true, lasting hope is to take our pain, to take our suffering in worship and tell God all the details of our suffering. If you were in the adult Sunday school hour, we talked about how Lamentations is seeking to form an acrostic. So every one of these verses in Lamentations 1 starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Why? Because the psalmist wants you to see, I am describing everything that is included in this pain. From A to Z, it's all included. My pain is real. I've spent time to record it in drastic detail for you. So who are you approaching with your pain and your suffering? You can come and talk to me. I want you to come and talk to me. If you're going through hard times, come talk to me. Come talk to Bethany. We want to know. We want to be a part of your lives. We care. But don't stop there. Take it to God. Tell God, I'm going through this, and these are the details of my situation, and this really hurts. Look, do something. You've been faithful in the past. You'll be faithful today, and I'll trust you through this. What does Lamentations 1 want you and I to do as we go through the rest of our lives, as we go through this next week? Tell God about your pain and suffering. As you examine your life, if you see areas of sin, repent. Don't allow those areas of sin that are present in your life to be a continual source of pain and suffering. Stop. 
as you go through your life, trust God. The book of Lamentations is five chapters. At the end of the five chapters, he once again in chapter five calls out to God and says, God, remember, do something. And there is no chapter six that tells us everything got bright and shiny again and the kids are healthy and happy and the city is populated again. It's not how the book ends. You may be delivered from your pain and suffering or you may not be. But either way, you can go to God and you can tell God. And God cares and he listens. And it is worship. And then finally, I would encourage you to take some time to write out your own lament. Every single one of us have gone through some time in our life that was a hard time where we suffered and we suffered greatly. Time where you are unjustly treated by a parent who misunderstood a discipline situation and you got the discipline instead of the sibling. You've gone through pain, you've gone through suffering. Sit down. Write about it. What are the implications of this? And take it to God and tell God to intervene in this situation. And then tell him, you've been faithful in the past and you'll be faithful in the future. And whether or not my circumstances and the pain and the suffering of this life ever change, I will still trust in you because you are a faithful and loving God. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you give us a means by which we can worship you and express the hard pain that we experience in this life. We pray that we would be people who worship you, yes, by singing and acknowledging who you are and your characteristics, but also by demonstrating trust by taking the pain and the hardship of our lives to you and telling you about it because you're the only one that can actually do anything to change our circumstances. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's